Uh, we're in a series uh, this month called Our Favorite Jesus Stories. And um, um, Zach went first uh, two weeks ago, and then last week was Brooks. Both of them did a great job. This week is me. Then next week will be Wilson. And then the next week after that will be Shannon. So everybody gets a crack at it. And uh, I, personally, I kind of found this... Um, Kind of a hard assignment because there are so many great stories, right? I mean, how do you pick your favorite one? And I'm sure that's true for the other guys as well. It, it, it wasn't that easy uh, because then if you pick one, somebody says, well, what about this one? Well, what about this one? Well, yeah, well, ah, right? So that was, I found that kind of hard. It's also hard, you know, when you're the pastor to determine the best story versus the most useful story, Right? There may be a story that's useful to us as a body, may not be your favorite story, but it's one that right now would make the most hay versus, you know, your favorite story. So I kind of wrestled with that as well, too. Um, Part of what makes it hard is that Jesus intended his parables and stories to be teaching points about the kingdom and salvation. And so the problem is there are a lot of great stories because he was a great storyteller. And uh, so you get captured that way quite a bit. But ultimately, here's how I boiled it down. I sat down myself and said, all right, which story catches my admiration? And this is apart from the cross and resurrection. We told the guys, you cannot use the cross and the resurrection, right? Because everybody went up and ship on that one. So you can't do that. So outside of the cross and resurrection, what's your favorite Jesus story? And so I sat down and said, well, uh, what what sticks out to me? What one do I always delight in? and, and always look forward to when I'm reading through the New Testament. I tend to do that about once a year. So what, which one? I, I always look forward to that story. And there is one story that has galvanized my attention and my admiration for over 35 years of knowing Jesus and his word. Uh, some of it probably comes from being a pastor. So this part I'm salting it so you try to figure out where it is. Uh, because in this role you're always looking for wisdom to give an apt reply or a wise response, Right? Uh, you can get a wise response that comes from God. That's like just gold in my world. Proverbs 15:23 says, A person finds joy in giving an apt reply. How good is a timely word? Proverbs 25:11 says, A word aptly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. Right? Just ting. Just got it. Right? And uh, my problem is I usually think of an apt reply 20 minutes after the conversation's over. Yeah. Like... Wow, why didn't I think of that, all right? But I really admire people who can think on their feet and come up with a clever response. And the response of the person in this story isn't just apt, it's downright brilliant, all right? It just, it's an amazing. I wish I had the moxie to think on my feet as quickly and clearly as this woman did. So you're going to need two places today. There's no slides, this is story time, all right? But you're going to need two places in your Bible. First, you're going to need to turn to Matthew 15, and uh, get, your, get your one finger set there. You're going to start with verse 21. And then you also need to open up to Mark chapter 7. Same story, two different Gospels. And look at verse 24. And we're going to start with the Mark passage first. So keep your finger in Matthew and go to Mark chapter 7. And uh, the title of this morning is A True Test of Motive. And it reads like this. Jesus left that place and went into the vicinity of Tyre. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. And yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia, and she begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. 
Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Now, let's do a little backdrop on this story first so we kind of get the context. Jesus is doing his ministry. There's miracles and stuff that occur, but he's also running into problems in the synagogues and stuff. And so pressure's mounting. And so to take a break and get away from the scribes and the Pharisees, he leaves uh, that area. So here's the Sea of Galilee over here. This would be north, right? Sea of Galilee. And he takes off and he goes straight west to, over to the Mediterranean coast on two towns called Tyre and Sidon that are over here. They're about 30 to 50 miles away. Jerusalem is south. So to get from Jerusalem is about 100 miles away. So it was a pretty hefty walk, right, if you wanted to do that. And kept most people from traveling that distance. And so they were looking for some downtime. Very similar to remember when they said, let's get in the boat and go take a break, you know, right? And because uh, you've had nothing. And the crowd chased him around the lake and then he fed the 5,000 because when he showed up on shore, here were all these people. And so kind of the same idea um, that they were there. And Mark records that he didn't want anyone to know he was there. Now, you already know fat chance of that happening, right? Because almost everywhere Jesus showed up, no matter if he was trying to take a break, whatever, all of a sudden people showed up. And sure enough, the same thing happens uh, in this particular uh, experience. Matter of fact, it didn't take long. If you read Mark, Mark says immediately as word got out, Matthew says, behold, or in fact, what gives the interruption factor to the story. I think we know what this is like, right? You ever sat down, you were just going to get ready to eat dinner and the doorbell rang? Oh, man, seriously? Or you're going to watch a movie, right? You got the popcorn, you're all ready to go. And, and then the phone rings. Ah. Or at my house, right? You're ready to lay down and take a nap. Door, there's a knock on the door in the garage. Hey, Dad, can I ask you a question? Right, that'd be Matthew. And uh, you're like, ah, oh, dude, you're killing me. Because it's like every three minutes. And so, uh, you know, it's, we, I think we kind of can get that that feeling, it's kind of that, ah, oh, again, sort of deal. So now, look at the Matthew passage. He adds some remarks to Mark's account and adds some intrigue by saying this. When she came to Jesus, it says Jesus didn't answer her a word. In other words, it's very strange. Uh, this is different behavior from Jesus. He just sits there. And he lets her ask. And, and the disciples are trying to deal with the situation. Um, the disciples in, in Matthew say they come to Jesus. They're actually there and they, get, and they say, look, send her away. She keeps crying out after us. I.e., the tone is, would you just give her what she wants? She's bugging us. Very similar to remember the widow and the unrighteous judge where she kept bugging him in that story. And this woman is there not going away, not quieting down. And so the disciples are like, we're tired too. Uh, you know, just get her out of here. We don't want to be bugged either. But there's a pretty significant problem. So if you look there in, in the uh, story, it says, In fact, as soon as she heard about him, this is this woman, this Syrophoenician woman, woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit, came and fell at his feet. Now Matthew, in that account, records she was demon-possessed and suffering terribly. So moms, put yourself in mom mode, right? What happens when your kids aren't doing well, right? You are on hyper alert. You are in go mode, right? Do, let's do something here. You don't sit around and go, well, maybe she'll get better in five minutes. Now, that's not how it works. And this mom seems to be the same way. She's distraught. She's desperate. And may I add determined, right? God uh, help the person who gets in her way. 
right? If you go to the emergency room and say, hey, I need you to get out of the car, and they go, well, here, fill out these friends. No, excuse me. You need to listen to me. You need to get out in the car, right? Uh, you're, you're not going to just put up with it. And uh, 12 grumpy men are not going to slow her down or dissuade her. And even Jesus' lack of response doesn't deter her, right? She comes plowing right in, falls at his feet, and kneels at him. And this then sets in motion one of the greatest dialogues in the New Testament. It's one that I, I've just been amazed at. The longer I go, the more amazed I'm at by it. Now, here's some things before we go into that that we don't know. Here's some things about the lady we don't know. First of all, we don't know who she was. We know what she was, but we don't know who she was. Uh, what she was, she was an outsider. She was a pagan. She was a Canaanite. Uh, if you put that in context, uh, historical enemies of Israel. So it would be like Jackson and Glacier Peak or right Jackson and Kamiak. Or, you guys got it, right? Ah, enemies. And, uh, and so they, she was really on the outside. Ephesians 2 says this. It says, at that time... Uh, they were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and a foreigner to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. That was this woman. Okay, she was outside the covenants of Israel. Um, and yet she still comes. Here's the amazing part. She knows this. She knows that Jew Jesus is a Jewish rabbi. She knows all the culture context in place. She knows she's not supposed to come, and yet she comes anyways. Um, Here's the other thing. We don't know how she knew of Jesus or knew Jesus. We have no idea. Did a family member run into them and come and bringing trade back? Some will tell the story. Or had the grapevine gone that fast already? Um, it's, it's not known. It's clear she was very aware of him and who he was and who he claimed to be because of her posture. It says she came and fell at Jesus' feet. In Matthew it says she knelt at his feet. So... That's a gesture of deference and worship. Matthew says she addresses him as Lord, son of David, which is very unique because she's a pagan. She's not going to address him as a title of God. She's not. Where did this title come from? She had some kind of awareness that goes far beyond just, oh, yeah, there's a guy that claims to do miracles. She actually knew the right titles. So there's more to this story. Um, son of David, clearly being a title of reference and a title of recognition used deliberate by her, she was in essence saying, I know who you are. I know who you are. And more importantly, I think, I believe in who you are. That's why I'm coming. Son of David is a clear title for Messiah. You don't use that unless you know what that title means because it's wrapped in Scripture there. And so uh, it's astonishing that she uses it. And it tells us, I think there's a lot more to this woman's story than we know. All the cards aren't played on this. And so um, we only have kind of some vague things to go off of. But somehow, some way, she, she was alerted and more pieces were in place than what we know about. But here's where it gets really intriguing. If you read Mark, she begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. Now, Mark is always kind of a very concise, condensed gospel, right? Uh, Mark is a minimalist, so he doesn't add a lot of commentary. He doesn't add a lot of color. He doesn't add a lot of motions. Uh, he just lays out, goes boom, boom. If you read Mark's gospel, a lot of people like it because it's very immediate, very good for Americans. 
right? I want my meal now. So if you want your meal now, go to the gospel mark, read the gospel mark. It just goes boop, 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 boom, boom, and you're there, right? Matthew colors it a little bit. Go to the Matthew passage and let's read Matthew and you'll see what I mean. He's dialoguing with her and he, it says, he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. And the woman came and knelt before him and, Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Notice that is a little more expressive. But I read that and I just go, what an absolutely brilliant reply. I'm probably going to fail this morning in trying to convey my astonishment at this reply and how brilliant it is. I don't know if it'll, it'll carry across, but it was brilliant in its deference. It was brilliant in its humility. It was brilliant in its assessment. She assessed Jesus. Jesus was assessing her, but she assessed Jesus. And she waited out and said, this is the way to go. And I'm like, wow, that is amazing. I don't know if women's intuition was operating there or what, but whatever it was, she had this thing pegged and it was a true test of motive. And why I say that is because, think about it. She could have really been put off by the disciples' attitudes, right? Because they were bugging her, get away, we're busy, we're tired, don't bother him kind of stuff. And, and they could have had the classic, oh, so that's how you really treat people. Yeah, 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 we know that. Uh, she could have been really miffed by what appears to be Jesus' indifference and lack of response. Some Messiah didn't even respond to me, didn't even care. Uh, she could have easily gotten offended and got up and walked off in a huff. Well, if that's the way you're going to treat me. I mean, think about it. How many women do you know would respond well if you called them a dog? Right? Now, my wife would. D-A-W-G, go Huskies. But normally, if someone came to you and said, oh, you ugly mutt, ladies, how well would you respond? Ah, not so well, right? That is not flattering and that is not a compliment. And so that was a cultural thing. And it's, it's absolutely astonishing that Jesus used it. I mean, because it's really out of character with him. And so there's this give and take going back in this, this dialogue here. It's a term of derision. It means outsider, low life, less than, right? And it's basically saying, I don't, do you even have a right to talk to me? Kind of thing. And it really flushes something out that I think is really important. What was her inner motive for really coming to Jesus? What was she really there for? Was she there for her own purposes? Did she have pride involved in the deal? Were there some other things going on? Or was she really accurate in her motive that she wanted to help her daughter? If her own motive was, I would suggest, anything less than a deep love and a concern for her daughter, it would have flushed out and popped up right there. Don't you think? Right? But it goes even deeper than that. She had an absolute trust that Jesus would and could answer her request. And we don't have any idea how she came to that beforehand. And she knew, and I think this is an important point, she knew as an outsider, she had no entitlement to ask whatsoever. She knew what those terms meant that Jesus was using. Jesus, as a matter of fact, makes, and I would assume, I would assume it had to be a crushing assessment for her, 
that the bread, his, his ministry, his subsequent benefits, the miracles she had possibly heard about, were for Israel's children, not for outsiders. So how would you like it if your kids, put this in context, your daughter's sick, right? Moms, go ahead, but dads, you can factor along with this. Your daughter's sick, and the doctor says to you, oh, you know, I really appreciate you coming, but you know what? The medicine is for these children, not for yours. Would you just say, oh, well, that's okay. That, that's fine. No, Aaron's going, not on your life. Absolutely not, right? Well, what would you have done? Would you have stomped off? Would you have cried? Um, would you have thrown a fit? Would you have begged, right? And this is where this woman absolutely blows me away. This is where I go, wow, how did she catch this? How did she come up with this? How did she have the insight and presence of mind and pure raw moxie? Right? This is clever stuff. To answer in a way that even astonished Jesus. Wouldn't you love to come up with a reply that Jesus goes, wow, that's impressive. Wouldn't that be cool? Like, just think if you answered in such a way that Jesus was astonished. That would, that would, that would just be wild. Her, absurd, her answer is absolutely brilliant. Why is it brilliant? Because she takes Jesus' analogy. Jesus uses an analogy. He says, oh, here's children's bread and the bread's for the children and it's not for the dogs. And she takes and uses her own analogy and says, ah, oh, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that come from under the table. So therefore, I could have a few crumbs, couldn't I? It's brilliant. In essence, what she says is this. Unpack this a little bit. Ah, yes, Lord, it's true that the bread is for the children. She doesn't disagree with them at all. says, I, I affirm your analogy. I affirm the picture you laid out. That's, that's accurate. But even the dogs, that would be me, eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. I eat this. Yes, I am a dog. I'm an outsider. This is, and this is actually how Israelites actually referred to outsiders, was as dogs, right? Very complimentary and flattering, right? Um, but she says this, if you put it in context, this is what she's saying. Surely, Lord, you would not deny your own dog a few of the children's crumbs that have fallen to the floor. After all, their crumbs are on the ground, they're dirty, you're not going to eat them. I'll save you the time from sweeping them up. Can I have them? Think about the incredible humility behind that response. That is absolutely amazing. What's the insinuation and faith claim found in her statement? It gets even deeper. I think this is where it gets really impressive. Jesus I believe you're a good master. Notice she calls him master. Falls from the master's table. Says, I believe you're a good master, not only to your children, but your goodness even extends even to your own dogs. You know what? Jesus, you're kind to even your animals. And I think you'll be kind to me. What an astonishing, brilliant reply. You know, think about our world. In our world, it's so much as one-upmanship, ego, self-proclamation, self-promotion, right? NFL's going now. You see it strutted all over the place. Arrogance, pride, entitlement. This woman is beyond humble and selfless. She says, call me whatever you want. I didn't come because of a title. I didn't come because I have presence. I came because I have a need. I have a terribly sick daughter. I have a daughter I can't fix. I have a daughter, I've tried everything. Nothing works. And I've heard about you and somehow I know you are who you say you are. And I'm coming. Hey, look, I don't need the whole boatload. Just give me a few crumbs. Call me whatever you want. Just give me the crumbs. 
What she's saying is this. If I'm a dog, fine. Just let me be your dog. Isn't that brilliant? Think about that once. That is astonishing clever. Jesus, I'm not looking for what the world can feed me. I'm looking for your crumbs. You know, we sing that song, Better is One Day in Your Court Than a Thousand Elsewhere. She's the epitome of that song. I don't want the thousand elsewhere. Just give me the crumbs. Your crumbs are better than a full meal elsewhere. That's what she's really saying. And Jesus picks up on that. Your crumbs are better than a full meal from somewhere else. May I just have a few crumbs for my daughter, please? Even Jesus is astonished. And that is saying something. Right? This outsider, this dog is having the kind of faith in him that he's been so looking for and hoping for in his own people. What was he looking for in his own people? That they would recognize he was who he said he was and that they would acknowledge God's presence on him and affirm that he was the Messiah. What did he get from his own people? Especially the leaders. Terrible stuff, right? Mocking, derision, challenging, critical spirit, fault finding. They just went, ripped them to shreds to the point where the pressure is so great. In this story, we find he's taking a break from it just so they can catch their breath. Did he find that kind of faith? No. But in this dog, this outsider, he finds the kind of faith that he's been looking for in his own people. And he says to her, woman, you have great faith. Wow. What what would it be like if Jesus looked at you and said, you have great faith? What would it be like if he said, Spencer, you have great faith? Or Mike, you have great faith. Or Robin, you have great faith. Or Joel, you have great faith. Or Danielle, you have great faith. Your mother doesn't, but you do. No, that's not true. Peyton, you have great faith. Melissa, you have great faith. What would you do if Jesus looked at you in the eyes and said, you have great faith? Would that be beyond all, beyond all compliments? Wouldn't, wouldn't you die for that? He looks at this woman and goes, wow, boom, you outdid me. They were having a sword duel. They were doing an uh, intellectual chess game. They were having a little sword play with words. And she out-analogied Jesus. And Jesus goes, you Have great faith. Your daughter is healed. Go. And she went and found that her daughter was healed. I just find that, I'm just blown away by that. I've never gotten over this passage or this woman or this reply. Every time I read it, it's more brilliant. And I think, oh, if I only had an ounce of that when I'm doing ministry and could come up with half as good a reply sometimes when people are asking me questions uh, like that. I wish and covet this kind of wisdom in my ministry with people at least just once a week, right? Or once a month. It would just be fantastic, you know? What a response. What a response. Can you imagine responding in a way that astonishes Jesus? Wouldn't that be cool? To respond in such a way that Jesus sits back and goes, Wow! Oh, dude, that was hot. That was awesome. That was impressive. Booyah for you. Well, I don't know if Jesus would say it that way, but, you know, right? That's Mitchellized. But, I mean, wouldn't it be impressive to respond in such a way that Jesus is astonished? Can you imagine asking in such a way that Jesus looks straight into your eyes and says, your request has been granted. Because of the way you came, because of the way you came and asked me, your request has been granted. 
And so I think there's some takeaways from this story that are really important um, in, in regard to this. So let's look at a couple takeaways. Here's some takeaways. First of all, first takeaway is nobody's an outsider to Jesus. We've got to remember that. This, was, this woman was as out there and out there as you can get. She was as disqualified as you can find. Uh, nothing would say that she had any chance to have an audience with Jesus, let alone have him grant her request. But notice really, in the story you see that she came to Jesus, but notice really Jesus came to her, right? Because he came from Galilee to her region and wound up in her neighborhood. She had no access. She couldn't take a demon-possessed daughter 30 to 50 miles to the Sea of Galilee and drag her and find Jesus. Jesus came to her. And likewise, Jesus comes to us. Jesus comes to outsiders. He comes into their region and he comes into their neighborhood. And he let her approach him and actually talk with him. I think that's an incredible principle is that we, we have to remember Jesus lets people, even people on the outside, come and talk to him all the time. Uh, it's hard to capture in America how out of the box this conversation is. All right, Because literally, uh, number one, women did not talk with men in public. And number two, um, Jewish people did not talk with outsiders uh, when they were outside of the country, outside of Jerusalem. That was absolutely forbidden. Matter of fact, this woman, I know it sounds heinous uh, in our world, but this woman, if she had approached Jesus that way, the disciples would have had the right to beat her up and send her off. And they would have been considered righteous in doing that because she was breaking social protocol. And so it's just hard to capture in our day and age how astonishing and out of the box this is, but yet she still came. And what that means with Jesus, I think, is no matter your race, your background, your sin, you can approach him. You ever feel like you can't approach him because of your sin? Right? I've just been a real gunky this week, and so maybe I'll just be quiet and lay low, and maybe God will soften up towards me in two weeks or so. But right now, I don't think I can pray and I don't think I can talk to him because I just feel awful because I'm an outsider. And yet, you can approach him. And I think that's one of the big takeaways. I think two things off that. We have to remember that. We can approach him. Sometimes we have the opinion of, I'm a believer, I should know better, I shouldn't have sinned that way, therefore I can't talk to him. And then we get in a month-long ruts because we can't ever respond anymore. That's not true. We can come and respond to him. And number two, I think it always remember some of the farthest people outside are the people that Jesus wants to make his friends. That means not the people here this morning, the people who aren't here this morning. He wants to make them his friends. And Jesus has a way of taking his worst enemies and turning them into his best friends. All right? And that means some of the people outside of these doors, some of the people we would be the most scared of, some of the people that we would say they have the least chance of ever getting into the kingdom of heaven might be the most likely candidates to get in heaven. And we as his family need to remember that. Because sometimes we write people off and Jesus himself hasn't written people off, right? It's just a good, just, we know this is Christianity 101, right? But sometimes we get in the way and go, well, I won't pray for that person. They could never be saved. Well, this woman was. And if she was, then others can be. And in our generation, may there be a whole lot of Jesus' enemies that become his best friends. Wouldn't that be fantastic? I mean, we need a bunch of Saul's turned into Paul's. And may they be multiplied to where they get in Jesus' camp and they understand it better than we do and they can speak to the culture in ways we could never do it. Somebody just fresh out of the mill like that really has a voice. 
And so maybe it's time for us to pray for those that we think are the least likely to be reached. But today, you might be feeling that way. You might be here this morning and you might feel like you're really an outsider. You don't fit in. You don't fit in with the church. You don't fit in with Jesus. You just, you don't know how to make this thing work. And you're standing there going, man, I I just don't. I'm just too far away to have a conversation with Jesus. Too unworthy, too dirty, too much on the outside. My response is you can't be any further outside than this woman was, this dog. If Jesus will have a conversation with a dog, he'll have a conversation with you. Does that make sense? Nobody's too dirty. This leads us to the next one. Although nobody is an outsider, that's true, Jesus must be recognized and approached for who he is. Notice that although she was an outsider, she approached him very uh, respectfully. This woman did several things that I think are very instructive when we come to talk to Jesus in prayer. First, it said she approached Jesus. When she came, she came, and it says she fell at his feet. Matthew says she knelt. All right? And what that says is uh, this woman understood the authority issue. She understood this posture of submission. She was approaching a king. And she approached the king the way a king should be approached. He's the authority. We are not. And I think often we, we get off on that. You know, in America, we kind of get sloppy, agape. Jesus is my buddy. Yeah, yeah. Hey, fun. And, hey, Jesus, cool. You know, and we forget who we're talking to. We forget how worthy he is. He, we forget what he's forgiven us. And we don't come with a proper heart respect. And I'm, not, I'm talking about a heart respect here. Um, one of the good questions is in praying, um, when was the last time you knelt before him when you prayed? Right? And I don't think there's anything magical or holy about it. I don't think, uh, I think you can drive in your car and pray. I think you can walk around and pray. I think you can do all kinds of things. But one of the postures that is traditionally always been understood as a sign of submission to Jesus' authority is kneeling before him. When's the last time you've knelt and prayed to him? Right? That might be perceived by him to be a very good gesture if your heart's right with it that you are responding to his authority the same way this woman did. She addressed him with appropriate titles. Notice she didn't just come waltzing in. She said, Lord, Son of David. Clear titles that caught Jesus' attention and focus, uh, even though he didn't want to be bothered. Remember, he didn't want anybody to know he was there and he didn't want to be bothered, but when she used these titles, she instantly had his attention because they were titles that acknowledged uh, who he was. Yes, Jesus is our friend, but we, almost, we must always remember who that friend is. He is the King of kings and he is the Lord of lords. right? And so when we address him, we always need to have a respectful tone. Why is this important? Well, I think it's important because when you look at this woman, she had a lot of other options. right? She was in a different culture. There were different religions. There were different faiths. There was all these other things. Maybe she tried all that. Maybe she hadn't. We don't know. But what she did was she came and she said to Jesus, you're my option. In her purse, said I, and Jesus tested that. That's why I think it's a true test of motive. You want to go somewhere else? You want to try something else? You want to do something else? No, I'm coming to you. Boom, boom, boom. No, I'm coming to you. No, boom, boom, boom. No, I'm coming to you. You are my option. And that needs to be true of us today because, you know, our world is offering all kinds of options, right? If you watch TV or you uh, listen to the radio at all, right, the Mariner games are on and the the Seahawks games are on and the Huskies will be on here pretty soon, the Cougars and all that kind of stuff be rolling out. And, and what are all the ads aimed at? Guys, 
aimed at the baby boomers. And what are they saying? Take this and you'll be 20 years old again. I got news for you. You will not. Okay? The way of all men has come upon us. Ah! Okay? But what are they promising? They're promising all kinds of options outside of Jesus. And our country is pursuing all kinds of options outside of Jesus. And we've got to be people that say, when we come to prayer, no, you're my option. You're my option. I will trust your answer. I will go with your answer. I will dialogue with you. Can we talk about that? But I'll be satisfied with your answer. When presenting a request to Jesus, it's wise to be humble and respectful when placing the request. Notice again, she didn't demand. I think it's really key. She did not demand that he do something, nor did she just roll over. She didn't quit right away. She was persistent. She stayed with it. She was willing to take the scraps if Jesus would give them to her, and she would be grateful. How very different from our age where you owe me or what have you done for me lately? Right? Have you ever prayed and then God didn't give you what you wanted? And how do we respond? Do we respond so godly and holy and, oh, yes, Lord God, you are wise beyond all measures. You know what's great for me and I am at peace. Amen? No, usually what do we do? Throw a fit, pout, stop our feet. Yeah, some kind of God you are and off we storm, right? That's one of the great uh, great hidden sins of the church is our attitude in prayer when God says no to us. We, we turn on him. And this, this lady didn't do that. In both James 4 and 1 Peter 5, it lays out what I've taught here at Northview as a universal principle, and that is this simple little statement. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And you see that in this passage and in this woman. This is a humble lady. She's desperate for her daughter. She knows Jesus can help. And she comes in humility. She doesn't come in pride. Here's the fourth one that's probably the the kicker for the morning. But just as Jesus tested this woman's motive for why she was coming to him, so Jesus will test our motives when we come to him with prayer requests. Do we respond with wisdom and insight like this woman did or do we get snarky and disrespectful? How do we respond? You know, there's three great answers that God gives. One is yes. Jackpot. One is wait. That's that praying for that patience thing. Right? Most of us don't like that because we needed it yesterday. And the other one is no. Right? And often we rail against God. We get mad against God. No, it's never an outward thing. It's an internal rage, right? We rumble through. And we tell God, you know what? If you were really God and you were really smart and you really knew what you were doing, you would give me that because you know I have this pegged right. And what we're really saying is I have the situation pegged right better than you do, God. And what I want, what I'm telling you I need uh, is right and you should give it to me and you're really not much of a God if you don't. Now we never put that into words but that's what we're saying. right? And I think those of us who've been down the trail a little bit longer than say maybe this gang right here can look back at prayer requests that we told God we had to have. right? Please answer this and God told us no and about 10-15 years later you look back and go you know what? God was really wise to tell me no back there. 
Garth Brooks has a song, Thank God for Unanswered Prayer. You ever heard that one? Where he looks back and the story is he had his girlfriend in high school and he prayed that God would make her his wife and that broke off and he goes off into life and gets married and he comes back to his high school reunion about 15 years later and sees the girl he had to have and the title of the song is Thank God for Unanswered Prayer. <laughs> now, I don't know how it all worked, but right, you kind of go, you know, maybe God does know what he's doing. And that's part of what this passage is teaching us is this lady, this lady in humility was smart enough to accept what Jesus would or wouldn't give her. And she just had a brilliant interchange with him. I, I tell you this, I want to meet this woman in heaven. I really do. I want to say, how did you know how to answer like that? How did you know how to have a comeback with Jesus that wasn't in his face, but was so brilliantly put that Jesus himself was astonished? Where did you get that from? I'd love to know the answer to that. Uh, I want to let her know how much I've admired her response to the King of King and Lord of Lords, to where Jesus himself was amazed. I want to say, you know what? You inspired me as a, as a brother or sister in the Lord. Um, you inspired me. That was brilliant. And it, it, that motivated me for years in my Christian life. It was one of the most uh, humble and brilliant comebacks in the history of literature and conversation in the world. If you look this comment up, it's, re, it's recorded all throughout history as brilliant uh, rhetoric. And if you read the rhetoric books, this, this conversation is recorded in rhetoric books because it's uh, written down as brilliant rhetoric. May we have the wisdom to do the same when we approach him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this woman's story. Thank you so much for recording it. I'll bet you from your standpoint that had to have been an awesome moment in your ministry. And I, uh, Lord, have been have admired this woman's response to you. Uh, no give, yet humble, determined, and yet at your authority. And Lord, uh, that is a, a tremendous example for us. It's a tremendous example of how to come to you, how to approach you for who you are and to ask in ways that are respectful and yet determined and to cipher what's right. Uh, this woman didn't want what the world could offer. She just wanted your crumbs. And Lord, may we be satisfied when you answer us that way as well. May we be people who are satisfied with your response to us. And we give that to you in your name. Amen.